0: all the places i don't know but feel like i have been to their fringes and their blood Hey there, I'm Emma June, and this is Fringes, a no-frills kind of podcast, where I talk to trans and gender non-conforming Jews about our experiences with Talitot and Tzitzit. Talitot, put simply, are Jewish prayer shawls, and Tzitzit are the knotted fringe at the bottom of them. For more in-depth definitions, please check out the first episode. In today's episode, I interview Rabbi
1: Ari Lev Fornari. As always, they will introduce themselves. Um. I'm really excited to be on this show and have a chance to talk about um i guess one of the first spiritual practices and ritual innovations that i had in my own process of coming more fully into myself as a trans person and as a jew and eventually as a rabbi um let's see my name is ari lev i use he or they pronouns and i live in west philadelphia and i'm the rabbi of cold tzedek synagogue and i'm also a parent of two little ones who are three and fives and naim And I'm a lover of studying Talmud, and I love to bike and garden and cook, and I have a long-time meditation practice and uh, now a deepening prayer practice, of which certainly Tali, Toad, and Tzitzit are are a core component.
0: Wow, thank you. Um, Can you maybe start off by just sharing... When you think back, what some of your first memories and associations with talitot and tzitzit are in from your life?
1: Yeah, it's not a ritual that I have um, what I would call like early formative memories about. I grew up in a fairly classical reform synagogue. And I don't really remember if anyone during Shabbat services wore tallits I, I don't even know that... At that time, if the rabbis wore a tallit, they certainly wore robes and kind of shawls, but I can't even quite viscerally remember, like, did those shawls have tzitzit on them? <laughs> um, they looked more like what I would imagine kind of a progressive Lutheran pastor would look like. Um, I have my child, you know, 30 years later, they do wear Talitot and tzitzit now on the bima that I know for sure because I've been back. So I don't have a lot of early childhood memories. I did get a tallit when I became B'nai Mitzvah and I remember wearing it for my B'nai Mitzvah, and I don't really remember almost ever wearing it since then. Um, And I first sort of re-encountered Talit and tzitzit when I was a young adult exploring the intersections of Jewish practice and masculinity, coming into my own self as a genderqueer, trans person and wanting to kind of encounter a uh, more integrated inner life. Um, and so I had at that point, uh, at that point I had been wearing um, payas. I had not been cutting the corners of my of my hair for several years. I ultimately wore payas for about seven years and I had been wearing wow. a kippah um, daily and was experimenting with what would it look like if I also wore tzitzit. And then, kind of emerged a larger question of what is this ritual, and how might I integrate it more fully into my own life, and what would that what would that mean for me, and what would it mean for others who perceived it?
0: Mm-hmm. So, were you wearing like a talit katan?
1: Yeah, so a couple different things emerged when I was after I graduated college in about two thousand four. Um, I was exploring the path to the rabbinate, and I remember I was a prospective student at a rabbinical school, and I didn't have a tallit to wear. And I was, um, I was distressed about this. I didn't feel comfortable in the tallit that I had gotten for my B'nai Mitzvah. I wanted kind of a larger, like more what I would call now like a tallit gadol. Mm-hmm. And a then lover actually said, let's make one. And that had never occurred to me before. Um, so we actually took all of the political patches off of my backpack. <laughs> and we bought this beautiful large piece of kind of white woven fabric. And we laid out the patches so that they they kind of form the crown of the atara and they eat and the corners they kind of bolster the corners of the talit sure and for many years that was my primary talit i mean all the way through um until about 2014 so for about 10 years that was my primary talit and for a while i then retired that and called it my my whole talit meaning it was the the talit of the regular week not not um, holy times or Shabbat or holidays and now at this point for me it's my protest talis uh-huh.
0: um,
1: and it feels like it, that's the energy that it carries so it's its place in my heart has kind of evolved um, but that was the first talit that I ever wore regularly and um, so part of my relationship to talit is this idea that we make them and in that process I also made a talit katan which I just made by cutting up a a, a really soft t-shirt and kind of slitting it down the sides and then uh, putting kind of a reinforcing fabric in the corners and tying seat there and I use the um the Jewish catalogue to tie seat actually. I
0: uh-huh. still I
1: still use the Jewish catalogue to tie seat <laughs> um, and so a lot of what I learned I learned directly out of the Jewish catalog, 1970s style.
0: Wow. And yeah, sorry. Go for it. I was just gonna ask like um, if you could talk more about just what it means, like this idea that you like a tallit is one that you make like does that feel connected to being genderqueer to you or like when I hear it I'm like that feels connected
1: yeah I mean Um, certainly there was a sense of kind of um taking ownership over my body and my judaism there was also a desire to not you know, buy a talit that was made in Israel or was made in a sweatshop or had kind of a corporate factory feel and kind of what does it mean to buy ritual objects that have integrity to them, that feel values aligned if we're going to elevate it to a status of holy. Um, And so that was was a priority for me as well was finding a talit not made in Israel. And it seemed like the easiest way to do that was to make one. Totally. Um, Which is, I think, one of the unique niches that, you know, Adva Designs fills now.
0: Definitely. I think that's definitely a reason some of our customers find us and and want the talitot tote that we make um and um yeah i guess could you talk a little more about how you uh imagine the role of a talis in a protest and like why you wear it while protesting
1: yeah it was interesting there was a facebook thread about this amongst rabbis recently. Um, I wear it for a number of reasons, Um, one of them is certainly when I'm invited to a protest as clergy, often we're kind of asked to come robed, like to come visible, Mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting because actually there isn't in Jewish tradition anything that clergy would wear that Jews wouldn't wear, which is different than other religious traditions, certainly Mm -hmm. than Christianity. And so to come clothed or cloaked as Jewish is not to come as a rabbi, it's just to to come as a Jew. Um, but the talit can be more visible than something like a kippah certainly it makes for I think it you know if we're thinking about media effect I think it has a really good media effect Um, and it kind of it marks our bodies and our presence in a certain way but I also think it um, for me personally has the impact of kind of bringing a prayerful mindfulness to my presence there to remind me like what what am I embodying in this space how am I approaching this protest with what energy and and intention am I bringing into this space so for me it kind of acts on me as much as it acts externally Um, and I think there's a sense of you know I don't know very kind of core Abraham Joshua Heschel you know when he's he felt his feet were praying there's a way in which having a Talidon can remind us that you know protest is another manifestation of of bringing the world closer to the wall, w- one we long for, which is part of what prayer is,
0: right? And it's kind of, in a way, fulfilling the commandment that a, that wearing a tallis is supposed to fulfill, right? Or the mm-hmm. the mitzvah.
1: Yeah, I, I feel that way. Um, I have, you know, on my own. I'm like, does one say the blessing for putting on a tallit when they're wearing it to a protest? So I don't have an answer to that, but I think it's a live question in my own heart. Um, hmm. Could you? I don't understand circumstances- why. Well, there's circumstances under which, we might, under which we might do a mitzvah where sometimes we would say the blessing and sometimes we wouldn't. So, for example, if I'm putting on my talit before Saturday morning services, I'm definitely going to say, you know, lejitatef bat the one who has instructed us to wrap ourselves in tzitzit. And then there's a the question, of if I'm putting it on before a protest, is, that this, is this also what I've been instructed it to put on? And, and how do I see this moment relative to my own kind of spiritual obligations? Mm-hmm. Um trying to think there are other ex- there, i'm trying to think of a good example of a time when we would do a mitzvah but or we would do something we might do as a mitzvah but we might say it without a blessing this happens with hand washing actually um a good example would be the passover seder we have both you know urchatz and Rachats. Mm-hmm. we wash our hands twice and we're, the uh, first time um we wash our hands without a blessing and the second time we wash our hands with a blessing Um, so sometimes we do the same act and we can decide am i doing it with or without a blessing um so that's kind of that's one example
0: yeah well speaking of blessings you are a co-author of a blessing for chest binding yeah um could you talk at all about that blessing i i use it and i know um That it contains at least part of the blessing you say when you tie tzitzit so i would really love to hear more about what went into it for you and like how you find a connection between chest binding and tzitzit
1: yeah absolutely i guess the first thing i'll back up and say is um i wore daily tzitzit for a very limited period of time um i experimented with wearing them kind of external to my clothing and also internal to my clothing I think I utterly shocked my parents when I kind of came downstairs one time I was visiting. I'd been living at Francisco, when I was visiting, and it's like, I have Pais, and I have Tisi, and they were, they were kind of like, here they have raised me to be a good classical reform Jew. <laughs> it was like, who are you? Like, have you strayed from the path? Um, but ultimately, just felt like it wasn't, um, you know, my own, it didn't feel authentic to who I was. Um, but it's still something I've I've wondered about is my relationship to Talit, Talit Katan. So I've made several of them, including uh, Talit Katan chest binder, but it's not something that I've spent a lot of my time actually wearing. And in some ways, the symbolic power of the ritual object and the blessing itself um, were utterly transformative to create. And knowing that, you know, you and many other people have kind of lived into the legacy and used them is, um, is incredible. I mean, we... We never know kind of the impact of our own creativity. So for me, I partnered with um, Rabbi Elliot Kuka. We were, were friends and I sort of approached him and had this idea. And I think it came up because I was thinking so literally about binding. Right. And we talk about in the Shema, you should bind these words upon your heart and, you know, um, and upon the frontlets of your eyelids and there it's really referring to the practice of wearing to fill in. but for me chest binding had become something that I had um, was a source of pain and discomfort even as it was also a source of liberation even as it allowed me to sort of be seen and move through the world in a way that felt resin it also actually just was very physically uncomfortable and I wanted a way to kind of sanctify that i wanted a way to sort of elevate it to reframe it and give me kind of some spiritual power to push through the practice of of, of binding my chest and so i for somehow i was thinking about the four corner garments and binding and i was like what do i need to i have a binder on and then i have a talit katana on and then i have a t-shirt and then i have a sweatshirt <laughs> i was like this is way too many layers and i had seen somewhere that people had started putting you know i don't know if it was in jest or real practice was tying tt onto a bra and i was like oh i should tie tt onto my chest binder yeah Um, so it kind of um organically developed in that way and then i was like what's the blessing for chest binding you know and if part of the blessing is feeling commanded and feeling a sense of holiness through an act like i was like i want to feel that i want to feel that my i want to sanctify my own gender identity i want to take it out of kind of this desperate worst case scenario deviance in society and say, no, really, this is also part of what God wants for me, which um, creating a blessing made it more possible to tap into that truth. Mm -hmm. That part of our, part of our job in this world is to manifest ourselves. And we see this even in the most traditional sources, you know, Joseph Soloveitchik writes this, that each and every one of us is called to sort of be in relationship with divinity and be betse- to what it is to be B'Tselem Elohim is to create ourselves in this world. Even the most orthodox of sources would kind of affirm that idea that part of what it is to be B'Tselem Elohim is this practice of what I call, of what Elliot and I called Hitiyat's root, self formation. Um, and, you know, our own journey inward um, and the process of coming out as trans through that journey inward is nothing short of kind of a miracle. So uh, I approached Elliot and I didn't, I wasn't steeped in Jewish learning at this point. I was kind of exploring the path to the rabbinate, but didn't have a lot of access to text or Hebrew. And we sort of had a bunch of phone calls where we talked about like, what, what did we want to draw on? Um, what, what energies did we want to kind of bring? Where did we want to pull from? And I don't remember if he, he might be sent me a draft. What do you think about this? And I said, Oh, what about this? And we kind of went back and forth. Um, and collaborated on the creation of this, but this idea that it was a mitzvah to bind my chest and a mitzvah to create myself uh, was extremely liberating for me personally. And I guess th- the very fact of that I had to, you know, you can't buy a talit katan chest binder, so it seemed right to pull on the some of the, some of what we said when we actually tied tzitzit, because there was an element of that kind of creative energy that's present when we make new ritual objects, and
0: yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. It makes me, you know, like when I say it and when I hear you say that, it makes me feel like I'm making myself holy. Mm. Um, that's that's, that, that's the goal. Um, I mean, I think you are. Right. right. I and mean, I, I don't think, think that's, that's what we're, you know, always told or led to believe or... Or internalized. internalize, yeah. 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 Um, and I think it's really it's really creative and I think I guess I've really been thinking as I have been approaching this project and and part of it is just me trying to understand like how um how to feel holy how to feel ownership and trust in an object like a talus that the way it was presented was like it's for men, or, or like now in this feminist moment of reformed Judaism, it's for men and women, but the women's ones have pink on them. Or, you know, um, kind of like uh, that it's, it's felt hard to know how to access this object. And, um, and so you talking about making your own talitot and making this blessing feel really connected to that idea for me um
1: and, and, I and i want to say like my desire to keep making Toad hasn't ended there i've made um, at this point i have about half a dozen Toad and i've i've made several of them actually and in fact at at kol at my synagogue uh, my partner who is very crafty we ran a tallit making workshop like a multi-session to support people to make their own toad. and more than once i've sort of sat pastorally with people and realized what we need to do is make a tallit together and kind of invited people into that journey and tied seat seat with people I have found that practice to know that like you can make an object that you can kind of cradle yourself in, re-swaddle yourself, kind of re-womb in every time you encounter prayer. And I think there's something very important and kind of points to the embodiment of prayer, which prayer can feel overly cerebral and kind of disconnecting. And I think that's a lead is a real antidote to that. And so I'll often make a Talit with people or, you know, invite them to tie Tzitzit or teach them how to do that. So they can, there's a huge point of empowerment to feel like I can make these ritual objects for myself. And that it's not just what it does about your relation to Talit, but it, it does that in your relation to Judaism in general to realize like, Oh, I can make this my own. Mm-hmm.
0: Could you share more about some of the Talitot that you've made? Sure. Um,
1: this past summer I was really on a hunt for having a, uh, well it it grew out of both practicality and kind of a sensory need which is um in my practice of leading prayer every week uh, i got a tallit when i was ordained as a rabbi which i really love but it has a it's a very slippery kind of synthetic fabric and it's always falling off my shoulders and i've gotten the feedback that i fidget with it too much (laughs) so i was like i need a less slippery tallit and i found a beautiful turkish bath towel this is my number one recommendation. I now say to people, if you want to make your own tallit, a really good, easy place to start is with a Turkish bath towel. <laughs> they're beautiful, soft cotton. They already have fringes along the edges. You don't have to hem them. They're already ready to go. And for some reason, they're kind of the perfect size. Wow. And so I um, I sewed onto it another piece of fabric as an atara and the corners. And then um, I really wanted to have a tallit that had tachelet. All of my tzitzit had just been plain white. And there's something about sort of drawing on the spirit of looking at and seeing where we eat him, like the, the blue, the blue dye within the tzitzit, and this kind of sky element. So I made this kind of spacious sky tallit. It's off-white with kind of a teal coloring with, with tzitzit that have t'chelet and kind of just trying to draw on a more expansive spirit. So that's the most recent talit that I've made. Um, and I have this white one that I wear on high holidays, and I have my protest talis. Um, and then I have also for for my the Brit Ahuvim that I had with our partner. Um, we with my partner, I her parents had been married under a very traditional talit, like a black and white, very traditional talit. But that they had embroidered their Hebrew names onto. And so for our Brit Ahuvim, my partner embroidered our Hebrew names onto that same talit. And so now there's two generations of names on this one talit. And sometimes I'll and for whatever reason in the right moment, I'll also wear that tallit. Um, so even though I didn't make that talit from scratch, it sort of has these enhancements. And um, my partner's mother, um, she's also a rabbi, and she had actually done all sorts of embroidery to kind of adorn it. So it has a lot of kind of um, beautiful intricacies to it. And just this idea that we can also take a very traditional tallit or a store-bought tallit and we can make it our own by embroidering words on it or designs or somehow or, you know, quilting on it somehow, I'm um, enhancing it and kind of reclaiming it as as, as uniquely ours.
0: Mhm. That's so beautiful. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's really I it was very liberating for me to learn that the commandment of wearing tzitzit is really it, it wants you to have four corners, <laughs> you know, and and it wants you to have these fringes, but that it can be on most any material.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. in fact, actually this summer, I realized that um, the fabric I was using for the atara was linen, and so I looked into the rules of shotness and got into this whole long conversation about whether I observe shotness or care about shotness, and for a couple of years, yeah, shotness is one of these um, irrational, and I say that with a fondness, actually, irrational um, biblical mitzvot to not wear clothing that mixes linen and wool. Okay and i it's not something i you know when i go to buy clothing i'm not regularly checking does this have linen and wool in it but it felt different to make a ritual object that blatantly kind of um, was in violation of this biblical commandment and it's a biblical commandment that we've is sort of often held up as kind of you know even more than the laws of keeping kosher kind of like what is this really about is like a, a mysterious question and actually for from Purim, my very crafty partner, has actually made a piece of fabric that is itself kind of a, wool, uh, a, a quilted collage of linen and wool, and she cut it into a dress, and so she has a dress that she wears called Lady Shotness, as, as her perm costume every year. <laughs> so we ha- you know, there's, it's important to have a playful defiance of these biblical commandments. Anyway, so one of my questions was, can I have wool tzitzit on a talus that has linen on it? Mm -hmm. Is that a violation of shadness? Which I ultimately the answer is no. But that's just another example of how when we make our own ritual objects, it allows us also to ask a whole variety of questions that maybe wouldn't have been open to us or necessary for us to ask if we just sort of accept Judaism as something that we can buy in a store or receive passively. So there's something very fundamental of generating an active relationship with Jewish practice that um, the creation of the Talit Katan chest binder and the blessing for it, kind of opened in me a love of ritual innovation and a real sense of agency in relationship to Judaism. Mm -hmm. Wow. that's
0: I keep saying that's very beautiful, but that's just how I keep feeling. (laughs) Um, Wow, that's very, very exciting to hear about. Um, Yeah, I mean,
1: I think exciting is a good word. I want people to feel that part of why live a jewish life is because it makes us feel more ourselves it makes us feel beautiful you know the mitzvah of hidor mitzvah of really taking care to experience the mitzvot is beautiful i think the Talit is a really good manifestation a really good example of of where beauty can really draw us you know how we're how we can be drawn to beauty and it can also draw us out of ourselves
0: yeah and and i think i feel that way like about being trans as well about like wanting or needing physical like clothing markers that make me feel beautiful um and it's really empowering to hear about or think about finding ways for a to embody both that feeling as a trans person and as a jewish person like in one in one object Um, instead of like letting those be separate
1: yeah and i mean it's so interesting for me, like the depths of which I've sort of journeyed with tallit at this point, I don't even think of it as a gendered ritual object. Like you would mm-hmm. need to remind me that it's a gendered ritual object at this point. <laughs> um, one of the more profound questions I'm asking myself right now as a congregational rabbi is, is it a specifically Jewish ritual object? Um, and this comes up with a lot of my conversion students. At what point can they start wearing a tallit? And who decides that? And when they, when they are in... Synagogue on a Saturday morning, should they wear a tallit before they've converted? Um, and it just brings up this question of what's our relationship to these to these knotted fringes? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, they also become metaphor. I mean, I love Elliot Batsedek's um, poem called Gatherings, if you're not familiar with it. I'm um, not. Oh, my goodness. It's it's an incredible poem that's at fringes, which is a non-Zionist feminist Havera that meets in... Um, I think it meets in Mount Airy or Germantown. Uh, they, they do this as kind of their opening Kavanaugh. And the essence of it, which I don't uh, want to butcher, is essentially something like, my paraphrase of it, I should say, is, you know, gather what you've loved and gather what you've lost. You know, gather um, your longings and gather your your accomplishments. You know, it's this whole idea of like that we gather the four corners of our mind. We gather everything we were were is and will be in the world we gather all the places that we want to send energy and we hold that in t- in close and so now regardless of whether you're wearing a talit i try to invoke that energy at kult that like part of wearing a talit is preparing us for this moment of the shema where for a moment we can be whole or we can imagine or feel in our bodies that possibility of wholeness mm-hmm. yeah oh
0: i love that I'm definitely going to go look at that poem.
1: Yeah, I really if, recommend it. They ha- I think they have a, a Shabbat version and even a High Holidays version. And We have a poetry wow. companion that we use at Colt and it's printed right in there. Amazing. Well,
0: hopefully it'll be online, and then I can also it's definitely it in you can definitely show, find it in show online. notes.
1: Yeah, I could even imagine it'd be cool for Adva to do something with those words. Um, yeah. The, the closing line is the most profound part, which is, and have the courage to proclaim that all we gather is holy. Mm. Wow. I could imagine um Elliot is also a is a feminist and a lesbian and I don't know how else she identifies in the world, but I could imagine uh she's a she's an author and a poet and I could imagine she would be a good person for you to interview potentially.
0: Yeah. It's really amazing. The more I talk to people, the more I learn how many people are doing amazing things that I'd just never heard of. Um, which is interesting because when I, you know, I, I have spent a bunch of time trying to Google and find online information about queer and trans Jews using Talitot um, and Tzitzit and there's, there's not a ton of content <laughs> out there. So, in fact, you're one of the only people that shows up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I actually feel like it's become so much more common now. I feel like when I run in kind of leftist Jewish circles, I see a lot of trans masculine folks wearing payas and tzitzit. You know, I was joking. I was ahead of my times. Maybe I would still be doing it if there had been more people. But at the time, I felt like just a total freak. Not in a bad sense, but like, you know, just kind of, what am I doing? But now, I, when I move through leftist circles, I see a lot of trans masculine folks wearing TT. It feels almost like normative practice. I don't. It might be so normative that no one's writing about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I see it fairly regularly in Boston as well. Yeah. Um, that's where I live, and I, I would say something similar. Yeah. I. But it kind of shocks me, like the, that step that step was skipped.
1: I don't think um, it was skipped. I think, you know, there was this bridge generation of which my writing is probably a part of it, where and and we did this because of feminism, because of decades of feminism where we were able to say part of the extension of egalitarian Judaism and years of Jewish feminist efforts is that, you know, all ritual objects, all meets vote are actually available to all people. Mm-hmm. And so once we understand that, we almost don't even need to talk about it again. <laughs> But I can feel like my piece came out of a moment of not even fully yet understanding or feeling that and trying Mm -hmm. to kind of help push that little piece of the project forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because that on the one hand, I think I agree with you and on the other, you know, like working at Adva, we'll have people call and be like, I want a women's tallest. And Uh they will say that there's no such thing. Right. (laughs) Um, What tallest do you like? And, that like it feels like such a fundamental um, conversation or breakdown kind of as soon as I step outside of the small circle. Right. Of you might say do you want to do, do you want a
1: feminist a feminine talus or a feminist talus, you know? Right.
0: There are many ways you could phrase everything. But I I think um, i I've, I've felt struck by both how much I'm seeing it and also how little I think people are um, who are not directly inside of those circles even know it's happening.
1: Yeah, I believe that for sure. Um, um, makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess that's part of why I want to I talk about it. Um, yeah, that and because I think I've never really heard people talk about their ritual pra- like what their ritual practice really like means or feels like to them um, yeah, it's before interesting. I started asking these questions.
1: It's interesting. One of the things that's kind of lingered in my mind since I've had top or had top surgery almost 10 years ago, and um, I've wondered about getting a tattoo kind of a, on my left rib that says ukshartam, you know, and you shall bind kind of as this kind of like remembrance of my experience of chest binding and it, it, it's interesting my arm would touch my arm wearing a tefillin you know, the, the arm tefillin would touch kind of that spot on my body um, of the ukshatam and just kind of the, the synthesis of the energy of that of that place in the body um, so I haven't I mostly haven't had time to manifest those kinds of things with, with two young kids but kind of just continuing to I can say even after having top surgery that this the process of this blessing is something that kind of is still very alive for me and, and something that my body is very aware of mm-hmm.
0: yeah is there anything that I haven't asked you that you're like ruminating on while we're talking
1: I don't think so. I really appreciate all your questions. And I'm I'm mostly like, you know, I'm a ritual nerd. So <laughs> it's it's been fun to talk about this with you. And I'm, 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 if there's other things that you want to know, I'm, consider me available. Um, and I, I feel like it's a long way from, you know, the B'nai Mitzvah I had and the kind of, um, you know, the small tallit that I didn't feel connected to to think about now how my Talit I've had the thought sometimes that if, you know, if God forbid my house was on fire and I had to grab one object. I've often thought I would grab my talit and my tefillin. That would be it. Those are like, is there what else is truly irreplaceable? Um and and for me, my tefillin was the it was a set of tefillin that my father received for his bar mitzvah, and he never wore them. He never even opened them. And when I was in rabbinical school, when I wanted to wear tefillin, my teacher said, You know, ask see if there's any sets in your families. And I was thinking, I've never seen anyone even wear a Tallit, nevertheless, Tefillin. And my father pulled out um, this bag and said, you know, I got this for my bar mitzvah, but I've never even opened it. So they were like a brand new set of tefillin. Um, And there's like, you know, a little bag and it's embroidered with his initials. And so um, certainly my Talit and tefillin are amongst my most prized possessions. And I I, I don't like to check them if I'm traveling, you know, they they always go in my carry on um, Mm -hmm. to get a sense of kind of how close I want to hold them. Right. They're important and they're special. Yeah, and then kind of part of how I've become myself and also kind of call me back to myself on a regular basis. You know, the one other thing I can add is um, kind of in that spirit of writing blessings, when we put on a talit, one question is what do we say to ourselves? And if you open a traditional door, there's a whole list of psalms that can be read when we put on a, on a talit. And one cool thing that I've noticed over the years is that I have slowly acquired kind of individual lines from psalms or prayers that have become kind of my own kabana. And so I'll often say the blessing and then I have um, kind of distinct lines. I'll say, that you should make within me a sanctuary that the Holy One can dwell in our midst. And I'll say, that purify my heart that I may be of pure and genuine service. And I'll say ki'imcha be orcha nirei or, for with you is the source of light and in your light we see light. Um, and this idea that kind of increasingly, I like to add um, add different lines from Psalms or liturgy kind of to that collection. And they all pretty much come out of verses that I've wanted to um, embroider on the atarah of my talitot. So I have a, each of my talitot has a different verse on the atara and um, actually the Adva designs made a talit that I wore under my chuppah. And that one has vetaher Benu And the, my ordination one has kiimcha mekor chayim. So this idea that kind of, that thing that we have on our atara can kind of hint at a larger kavanah about our lives. And I love collecting them almost like little, sacred pebbles or something that kind of accompany me in that moment of putting on my tallit every time I put it on.
0: Yeah. I really hear you finding such amazing ways to make your objects your own, um, and to feel like personally attached and tied and literally embroidered and bound in them. Um, it's pretty incredible um do you think sorry this do you think about like when you think about embroidery like the binding aspect of that
1: as well i never have but given that you all are weavers it makes sense that you would draw that connection that's really <laughs> cool that's a cool image i never have but i love that i love that never thought about how it's kind of tying the knots together and weaving you know material on material binding materials together that's very cool
0: yeah well, you're really, you're, you're, I don't know, there are just so many layers of binding that you can find in, in some of these objects and rituals in Judaism when you look not well, even that, that closely, and it's cool it, to hear you adding another layer.
1: Well, I guess I'll say I see myself kind of, if anything, as a ritual crafts person, and so I'm sort of binding ritual together, if that makes sense, kind of binding blessing with lived experience. Um, so that's
0: kind of my own stitch work. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so, so. You're so, so welcome, much for talking to me. Um It's This has been really, really incredible. Thanks for listening to Fringes, my passion project supported by Adva Designs. For more definitions and links, as well as a transcription of this episode, please check out the show notes on our website, com slash fringes episode five. That's A-D-V-A-H-D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot C-O-M slash F-R-I-N-G-E-S-E-P-I-S-O-D-E-5. As always, the interviews I do and the stories I get to share through this podcast cannot possibly capture the breadth of experiences in this world. I'm inevitably leaving people out. That said, this project is growing. If your story feels left out and you want to share it, please reach out to me at Emmaadvadesigns.com. At That's E-M-M-A at A-D-V-A-H-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. This podcast is coming out on a bi-weekly basis. A huge thanks to my producer, Sarah Resnick, and to Home Despot, the musician behind the intro. And thank you for listening. See you in two weeks wherever podcasts can be found.